Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. Yeah, Father, we want to thank you because you are here. And uh, it's, it's for you that we're here. You're the only reason that we are, we are here. And we want to listen to your words this morning. We want to receive from you. We want to open our hearts to listen, to receive what you have to say to us. So Lord, I pray that you would speak and that um, your words would just uh, be like a seed in our hearts that would grow and bear long-lasting fruits, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Right, so um, if you don't know, at the beginning of every year, Kingdom Faith as a church does a time of prayer and fasting. So we, in the middle, or in the first third of um, 21 days of 24-7 prayer and worship. Now, that looks like different things. We have encounters going on that Trevor was speaking about a minute ago in Foundry Lane in Horsham on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights from 7.30 to about 9, 9.30, depending on the day. Um, if you want to make it to one of them, you don't have a way to get there, or you have no idea where it is, you've never been there, so you don't want to go by yourself, that's fine. Just come and see some of us. Uh, we'll find a solution. We all want to participate and and be together. So it's all congregation together. So there's people from Worthing, from Crowley there as well, as Horsham and us from Burgess Hill. Uh, on Friday, there's the same also at Foundry Lane from 11 in the evening to 7 in the morning. There's a prayer going on through the night with some of it being led, some of it having worship, and then some of it being kind of everyone on their own in the building. But um, we had the first one of them on Friday, and I think it was really powerful. Um, there's something special about praying through the night watches and uh, just what God wants to release in and through us. So as part of what um, was been happening this week, really? Uh, there's a woman in the congregation, uh, in one of the congregation, that had a dream, and um, some of you will have heard this dream already, just during the week, because it's been we've been building on on what God has been saying to her or through her. Um, but I wanna I wanna read it to you one more time. Say, so I just um, want you to to listen because I think it's key to what um, yeah God wants to say at this time. Uh, So here it goes. It's quite uh, weighty, so yeah. God really did a number on me, and I went to bed excited at what he was doing. This is after the Tuesday encounter. I had a fitful sleep, and he woke me and said clearly to be prepared as he was about to show me some things in the spirit. I went back to sleep, and he took me to different scenarios around our town to show me what's going on and what will happen if we don't contend seriously in the spirit as we did last night. So she's talking about the town being Horsham, but obviously this is all happening everywhere. So we take it really as a region thing more than a town thing. Um, So to show me what was going on. Then he showed me the drugs problem in the town. He took me to the most depraved, impoverished place where drugs rule people's lives and minds, and it was absolutely beyond awful. I saw the death that lingers over these people, the cost they pay that death hovers at their door. I saw the, the demons waiting to collect their souls and also the death and violence that goes on. Then I was taken to see a physical battle between the angels and demons. 
I watched as they engaged in ferocious fighting. There was one demon who towered over the rest. It was huge and pitch black with massive black wings. They were contending with the angels to be allowed down to earth. Needless to say, I woke up extremely shaken, feeling physically sick and pretty terrible. But I trusted the Lord that he was showing us this because he wants us to step into this war. In a war that is not against flesh and blood. And I've now seen some of the powers and principalities and stuff just got very real. I also recall seeing a lot of women that had the appearance of prostitutes and places they gather. And very disturbingly, I witnessed one of these ladies being murdered. Now, I know it sounds all a bit disturbing and quite dark. But this is a reality of what's going on in each of our towns, in our region, in our nation. The enemy is not just out there to, to, to just be out there. He's out there to kill, still and destroy. And we throw that verse around, but this is what it looks like in the physical realm. Demons are waiting to collect their souls. How just, oh, just it, it, it's, it's hard to even read that, but it is real. So let me tell you one thing. We're not doing any of what we are doing for ourselves. We don't just enjoy having nice prayer meetings, being in God's presence. We don't put up a Sunday like this, put all of this effort in just to sing nice songs for ourselves for an hour on Sunday morning. We're here because we want to see that reality we just talked about change completely. We hear, and Jen, while she was releasing stuff and Matt this morning in the prayer meeting, you guys kind of stole everything I'm going to say, but that's okay. That's, that means we're working in the spirit. It's, it's all good. But we are here to lay our lives down for these people. And those people might never know we're doing that, but we are here to do it anyway because we're here to make a difference, to shape, to shift things to break down the plans of the enemy which are already in motion because as I said this was not just a prediction of things that are to come but it's a reality of things that are already happening. In our towns there are places of fear, of violence, of escape from sorrow and heaviness. There are places of hopelessness and we have but one mission and that mission is to bring hope to this world but in order to do so in order for those people to even think of coming out of those situations and find that hope something's got to give and I think that God is speaking to us as a church and probably as the church about laying our lives down in a fresh way and what that looks like what that means can be different for everybody But it means that we have to live as a sacrifice for them to come out of that hopelessness so that they would come to know the hope that we have within us. This is what 1 John 3.16 says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. We call to lay our lives down. And again, that can look like a variety of things. But in the book of Esther, which we're going to read through um, parts of it this morning, we find, well, Queen Esther. And this morning, I titled our message, uh, You Being Set Up. Because we are all being set up. 
in a way that I'm, I'm going to describe and it's all going to make sense, but you know I like uh, weird, intriguing titles. So you're being set up. And guess what? Queen Esther, she was being set up as well. Uh, she was called to lay her life down for her people. She was um, basically background story. If you've never read the, read the book of Esther, um, she was chosen between many girls to become the new queen to the king. And uh, she was actually Jewish, but um, they never revealed her true identity, her true nationality, if you'd like, to uh, the king. So people didn't know she was Jewish. Only her, um, let's call him the uncle Mordecai, uh, knew. And Mordecai was the one who worked for her to get into the presence of the king to become the queen. So she's queen. She's enjoying the life of the palace, the presence of the king, all the good things, the nice clothes and the perfumes and all that, all that is nice. Um, but actually she was being set up because she wasn't just there to enjoy those things. And uh, there was a divine setup for her to be in place to save her people. So we're going to pick up that story in chapter three. If you've got it in your Bible, pick it up in your Bible. Otherwise, it's on the screen. Sorry, it seems like a lot, but as we read through it, it's going to be fun. So when Mordecai, remember, he's the, uh, the uncle, he raised up um, Esther. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. Now you're like, what's happening? Why is he doing all of that? Well, I forgot to tell you part of the story. <laughs> um, so basically, She's being set up because she has to save her people. There's a bad guy. His name is Haman. And his plan is to kill all the Jews. And he's managed to go into the king. He's, a, he's one of the workers for the king. And he went to the king and managed to convince him that it was a good idea to kill all the Jews. So the king released, gave his ring of authority, released Haman to say, hey, go do whatever you want. You know, like you've got a letter from me. There you go. We're going to eradicate the Jews. Go do whatever you want. So Mordecai learns about that, hence the weeping, the touring, the clothes and all of that. So verse two, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth could enter it. In every province to which the um, edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. May, many laid in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. So obviously she thinks something's happening to my guy, but she doesn't know the circumstances because she doesn't know something's been um, issued against the um, Jews. So she sent clothes for him to put in, on instead of a sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Now let's stop right there because... See, I believe that we've received a letter just as Esther 
did in that passage. Mordecai is sending her a letter saying, here's what is going on with the Jews. Here's what's happening. We are all going to be destroyed. And I believe we've got a letter. Uh, So she received one that described the plan from Haman to destroy the Jewish people. We've received one through that dream that describes the plan of the enemy to destroy the life of children of God. And we all with a letter in our hands. I know it's on the screen. If I had a bit more time, I would have found a seal thing. I should have asked Shari and a letter thing and I would have given you each one. But that's the best we got. Uh, So we all have this letter in our hands, representing the state of our towns, region and nation. And that letter doesn't come by itself. It's not just a report saying, hey Matt, this is what's happening. Hey Jen, this is what's happening, just so you know. Let's keep reading. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they would be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was last called to the king's called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. So basically what Esther is saying is, Mordecai, I appreciate you want me to go see the king, but it doesn't work like that. I can't just go see the king. I have to be summoned to see the king. And there's a law. If I go in there without being summoned and he doesn't extend the scepter, I'm dead. Like this is it for me. I'm gone. And here's what Mordecai answers. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Now the letter, that report of the state of the nation, of our towns, that we all are holding in our hands, it's up on the screen. It comes with a question, a loaded question, one that isn't asked timidly, one that doesn't simply take a yes or a no answer. It's a loaded question, one that asks and requires commitment that has great implications. It's a question, a plea that has consequences for each of us. And I believe that God is writing this letter to us, saying something like this, along with the dream and saying, my child, this is the state of things. He is saying, and I'm going to read it to you. My child, I have not shown you this simply for you to know about it. I have shown it to you because I have chosen you and put you in the position you are in for such a time as this. I need you to understand what is required of you at this time. See, Jesus called his 12 disciples to, to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of those he called. He called Trevor, he called Claire, he called Joel, he called each and every one of you, Sabrina. I, I want you, can, I, can you actually close your eyes as I, as I read this? I just, just imagine God writing this to you. He's calling your name. And then he says, go rather to the lost sheep of Burgessil. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, my child, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, 
freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. I am sending you like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At a time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of the UK before the Son of Man comes. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark when you spend time with me, speak in the daylight. What I whisper in your ear as you pray, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet no one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth far more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now this is a passage from, from, uh, from uh, the gospel that I just changed a few words in, but you can open your eyes again. <laughs> that is the commitment that goes with this letter. It's not something to be taken lightly. And God is asking us, would you go, my child? Are you ready to take that on? I have put you here for such a time as this, but don't be fooled. If you don't take up that commitment, that's fine. I will raise up another just like he did with Esther. Remember, Esther, don't be, don't be fooled. If you don't do this, someone else will be raised to save the Jews, but your family will perish. Now we under grace, we won't perish, but there is an element where God is asking us to lay our lives down and he will never force us to do that. There is free will and we can decide to just simply say, God, I'm not ready. And that's fine, but you will never live the fullest, the best of what God wants to give you unless you take up that commitment. Because we're not here for comfort or wealth, but we're here for the cause of the kingdom. And that cause saved your life once. 
We are here because someone, somewhere, at some point, stood up for us, told us about this hope. It saved your life once, and it now requires you to go share that hope that you have with others. Let's go back to the story of Esther. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. She took up the call and she came to the conclusion, if I perish, I perish. But not one Jew will die. Not one will be lost without me trying to do something about it. Not without me answering that call. And we have to come to the same conclusion. Not one more will perish. Not one more will lose hope completely. I won't stand with demons waiting to collect their soul without me trying to stand in the gap, without me contending for their lives. And if I perish, I perish. If my life never looks like much in the eyes of man, that's fine. If my agenda is messed up, if my goals and personal dreams and expectations are not reached, all these things I count as lost. But I won't let the enemy take another soul. They won't have another one. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Not while I'm here fighting this spiritual war. Man, as I was preparing this message, I was crying out these words. I said, God, I'm, I'm done playing games. It's time to go to another level. It's not like we've been playing games till now. Don't, this is not a condemn, condemnation thing. But this is God calling us to more. As we're spending this time at the beginning of this year, he's saying, hey guys, if you're serious about this, let me show you the state of things right now. Because this is not a if you want to, when you feel to kind of thing. This is a laying your life down forever kind of thing are you ready so you know as kingdom faith we gather the troops here our troops we gather the troops all around to go to the encounters we pray we fast we contend and the word contending I believe is key in this season it essentially means to to fight for it's referred in the book of Jude uh, in the New Testament, it's a small book. It has only one chapter right before Revelation. Most people always miss it. Um, but actually, it's one of uh, Jesus' brothers that wrote it. His name was uh, Judah. Uh, and um, he didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was on earth. Only when Jesus uh, came back for a, a short period of time after being brought back to life, then they started believing. And they actually became leaders in the church in the early church, and he wrote this book, and he says, uh, so it's, yeah, the content, he uses this word content, so it's this, one can describe, so one definition of contending, a, a writer describes it like this, Jude uses the term content when he urges believers to contend for their faith, 
This call to contend refers to an intense effort like the one in a wrestling match. Watching a wrestling match gives a very vivid picture of contending as there is an ongoing struggle to maintain control of victory over an opponent. Neither participant is willing to give up until one is clearly pinned or defeated. Now, why is God sending us this letter now? Why is he doing this? Because we're in a time of fasting and praying. As I've just said, in this time, we are spiritually at war. What we're doing, we're contending for our towns, regions, and nation. We are taking ground, fighting for the lives of people, fighting for the hope to be released to all. And so as we read through that book of Jude, uh, he tells, a bit, uh, tells us a bit more about contending. Uh, he begins the letter with comfort, com, comfort, comforting, comfort, how do you pronounce that word? Comfort, comforting, that's it. Thank you very much. I'm not British. Grace abounds. Um, so he, he begins with some uh, comfort, that word, uh, to Christians. He starts in verse 1, and he describes in verse 1, he says, Those who are called, loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. That's the first verse, that's the opening of his letter. He says, to me, actually, all these, that first verse, those three ver- verbs, so those who are called, loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. They refer to something that God does, right? God calls, God loves, and God keeps. We are called, we are loved, and we are kept. So Jude begins his letter by stressing that there is a security for us Christians, us believers in God. We are kept by him. At the end of his letter, in verse 24, I told you it's very short, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God, be glory. So notice in verse 1, we are being kept by God for Jesus Christ. And in verse 24, God is able to keep us from falling. Jude begins and ends his letter by assuming, by assuring, sorry, assuring us that God's plan is to keep us and keep us from falling away from the faith. That's the way he begins and ends his letter. But then in the middle, he has a very different speech. He switches gear a little bit. He does not help believers feel good, but he reminds them to be on guard and ready to fight. Having shown them that the love of God and the power of God to keep them safe, Jude now shows them the danger that surrounds them. And he tells them to fight for the faith. In verse 3, he says, Beloved, beloved, sorry, being very eager to write to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was one for all delivered to the saints. In other words, what Jude is saying at the beginning and the end of the letter He's saying, rest assured, you were saved. Rest assured, the victory is yours. Rest assured, you are there, you are winning. But in the middle, he says, that doesn't mean you don't have to fight. That's what Jude is saying throughout that whole letter. He's saying you are kept, you are loved, you are all of that. And at the end, don't worry, you have the victory. But in the middle... While we're here, while we do life, while we do all of this, 
doesn't mean you don't have to fight for it. Doesn't mean you don't have to contend. Doesn't mean there won't be a battle. Doesn't mean you're not at war. This is the reality we live in. We fight in and we'll keep fighting. And I believe our lives are going to look different as we step into this year. If there's a redefining year, is this one. 2020, new decade, you've heard it a thousand times already. 2020 vision. I've heard like 1,500 pastors already use that. Um, this year, I believe, is the year of unprecedented things. It's the year of reset. God is pressing the reset button. He's saying, forget everything of the past because it ain't going to look like that no more. Look ahead because your life is about to be different. I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to more, but maybe more difficult as well. There's a greater requirement now, child, if you want to go further with me. He's saying, forget you what you know, what you are used to, because I'm, where I'm taking you, it's a lot different. So we've been set up, just like Esther. We were saved. We were put in the presence of a king. We enjoyed all the good things of the palace, the blessings from God. But it was a setup for this very moment when this letter comes. And we have a choice to use our position that we are in. The one God has chosen us for to make a difference in the lives of others. Because we're not just meant to be set up, but we're meant to become a set up for others. For others people, other people's lives. In Luke 5.27, in the true version, the true version was the beloved version of the Bible that our apostle, Pastor Colin, wrote. Um, <laughs> and it says, as Jesus was leaving the town later, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his customary place. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi rose and left everything to follow Jesus. And just like that, Levi was being set up. Jesus came and interrupted his life. Notice how it says, Levi was sitting in his customary place. That to me speaks of routine, right? He's sitting where he was sitting every day. Now we've gone through this before, but remember how I've said tons and tons of times, tax collectors were not lovey-dovey guys. They were bad guys of the time. They were rejected, undesirable people because they were taking money from people. They were not liked. And he's there doing his business. Just like the world out there, out of this building, Burgess Hill is doing its business. People are going to school. People are going to work. They're going to Tesco, seeing what's on offer. They're going about their business. They walk in the dog. But suddenly, Jesus steps into the scene. And he says, follow me. And Levi rose and left everything to follow Jesus. And actually... We've been set up to come and interrupt other people's life in a good way. Instead of Jesus, you can insert your name here. And Tom steps into the scene, walking his dog, meeting the other person, walking the dog, as they do every day. And he speaks to them. He says, hey, I have a hope. Something you need to know about. And actually, later that day, in the next verse, it says, then he led a great banquet, banquet for Jesus at his house, at which a large number of tax collectors and other undesirables 
sat down to eat with Jesus. Now to me, that speaks of multiplication. You know how we've had this word from addition to multiplication? That's what multiplication looks like. In one day, he met Levi, came, interrupted his life, set him up. And Levi became a setup for others because he was so excited. His life was transformed by this guy named Jesus. He brings all the ones he knows. He says, come at, come at my house. We'll do barbecue. I have great food. And I have this guy. He's my mate. It's called Jesus. He's awesome. Suddenly we in people's lives, in people's houses, we at kids' birthday parties. We're there to watch the football with them or to celebrate whatever occasion. We have a platform for our lives to become a setup for someone else. This is what our lives are meant to look like once we step out of our prayer room, once we step out of the encounter, once we step out of this room, is the two sides of a coin. When we in here, we contending. We're praying, we're fasting, we're pushing through. We don't do worship for ourselves, but we believe that when we worship and when we push through, prison doors are falling, earthquakes are happening in people's lives and they come to know God. But outside of the prayer room, discipleship, we interrupt people's lives with hope, love, faith, and we offer life transformation through Jesus. Joel and Jen, do you want to come back up? I think that God is just, this is a timely word. And I'm, I'm sorry if it's a bit long or if, if, if you got lost within it, I'm really sorry. But I think God really spoke to me at the back of last year and the beginning of this year about all of this. And he's asking us, if you take this letter... If you open it, don't just read it as a report. But there's a thing that comes with it, a responsibility, a response that you have to give. And maybe most of you are thinking, if you're already a Christian, look, I'm laying my life down. I've been doing it for 15 years or however long you've been a Christian. That doesn't matter. I think that God is calling us to do that afresh, to do that in a different way. He's saying, hey, you've known a level of things now, but I'm calling you up here. Will you come up here with me? Even if it gets hard, even if everything gets messed up, because revival is messy and we know that. We've heard it enough. If you all want to stand, I just want us to respond this morning. And I can't do that response for you. You have to respond in your own heart and say, God, don't let me take this lightly. I've heard this report. I, I've seen this letter where all this stuff is going on. Demons waiting to collect people's souls. The enemy dividing plans to conquer the world and to bring hopelessness all around him. But actually, Father, I know that I have hope within me. I have hope within me and I need to do something about it. So God is asking you, my child, look, are you ready? 
Are you ready to do this for me? Just start speaking to God right now in your own words. Whatever spoke to you through this message, because I believe this is God speaking to us, every word of it. Respond and say, hey God, I'm laying down my life afresh. It's not my own. Actually, Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. My life is not my own. Christ, my life is yours. Do as you wish. I'm available. Just tell him in your own words. Tell him, Lord, whatever it looks like, I'm here. Whatever it looks like, if it requires me being here for 15, 20, for my whole life, if it requires me sowing my life in this town until I see those 32,000 people of Burgess Hill and the, the, the villages around saved. Father, I lay my life as a sacrifice to you, Father. If it requires me to lead worship with my guitar every day of the week until I die so that people will come into your presence and know Oh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Father, find me willing. Let that cry rise up from your heart right now. I cannot do it for you. Father, we need you. We need you afresh, Lord. We need more of you, Father. We need you to come and invade our lives in a fresh way. Lord, come and have your way in us. Father, we declare that on our watch, not one other will die, will perish. Father, we will contend for our town. We will contend for our people. We will contend for our neighbors. We will contend for our colleagues. We will contend for our friends at school. Father, let me be the one that fights the battle for them until I find them coming into the hope that I have received. Father, find us willing vessels in this time to fight this war. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 